Hello and welcome to We Can Just Change It, a podcast where we discuss our favorite things, or at least favorite things. It depends on who's talking. I'm Hunter. I am an author. I have a book out called Dawn Must Follow Night, and I love words and stories and music. I love it. Uh, and my name is Eric. I am... Uh, an attempt at many of those things Hunter just said, but yet none of them. Um, what else about me? I uh, love reading. I love music. Love uh, written, spoken words. Uh, and I am loving being here already. <laughs> All right. Uh, this, our first episode is going to be about our favorite books and uh why we like them and uh if we don't like topic then we can just change it we can just change it yeah you know, uh, you're saying that and all i'm thinking is raindrops and roses <laughs> and whispers on kittens yeah and these are a few of my favorite things yeah but, you know we can just change it so yeah I doubt anybody will find this nearly as fun as we do. Uh, we can just change it, you know. They don't. It's, it's so strange, like, talking to each other, but thinking about also talking to other people at the same time. Anyway. Yeah, that'll probably yeah. be something we get used to. Yeah. <clears throat> so the first question is, what is your favorite book? And we're going to be doing fiction. Um. Do you want to go first? or For those of you who do not know, uh, fiction, as I found out yesterday, does include fantasy and sci-fi. They're kind of the squares that fit into the rectangle that is fiction. Um, sure, I can go first. I've spent uh, quite a bit of time trying to figure this out, and I don't have a good answer. Um, because my favorite book series is different than my favorite fiction book, if that makes sense. So I was trying to think of things that I've, I've read multiple times um, and uh, looking at my bookshelves. Uh, one of the pieces that stands out to me is, which is probably currently my favorite work of fiction, um, is a C.S. Lewis book, um, which I'm sure is not that interesting to many people. And I'm like, oh, C.S. Lewis. Um, I, I love C.S. Lewis. I've read a lot of the things he's written. Um, but my favorite thing is actually not part of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, it's not one of his um, other, maybe more well-known um, pieces, but it's actually part of his space trilogy. Mm. Um, and while I think I like, might ultimately like Paralandra more than Out of the Silent Planet, um, I'm going to go with Out of the Silent Planet, okay. which is the first in the C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. Um, have you read that, Hunter? Have I have, yeah. Um, might be downstairs. Just trying to find it on the shelf. Yeah. I did read it. Uh, fairly recently. That's great. Okay. Was it? Did I? Did I make you read it? You recommended it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I. Uh, it just for me, one of the reasons I love it so much. Well, maybe maybe I'll let you answer your answer before I kind of dive into why I love it. 
um, so much. Um, yeah, I'm going to try and find a, a, a good quote for it. Okay. Um, by the time we kind of come back to it, but uh, yeah, what about you? What, what's what's your favorite uh, work of fiction? So, mine is Don Quixote de la Mancha uh, by Miguel de Cervantes, also known as the Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. Um, and it is one that has more recently become my favorite book of all time uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. I just said Lord of the Rings, uh, which is still up there. Um, well, it's not a single book either, though. That's just. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, uh... um, Sorry. Continue. But uh, Don Quixote is, if you don't are not too familiar with it, um, one of the most famous examples of it is the tilting at windmills, um, where Don Quixote is this kind of Spanish noble, kind of middling Spanish noble. He's he's not that rich, and he's but he's not poor, also. But he reads uh, books of chivalry all day and all night until he goes insane and um, decides that he is going to become a knight errant after the fashion of his favorite knights in his books. Uh, and he <clears throat> is out with his squire Sancho, who's kind of this peasant that he's convinced to become his traveling squire. And he sees these windmills in the distance and in his imagination, they become giants from his books and he tilts Mm. at the windmills. He tries to joust them and it doesn't go very well, but it's not my favorite example, but it's my, my most famous one, but that's kind of a, a, a short summary of, of, what it's about. So the follow-up question that I had is rather than just, just say why um, Mm. figured we could do, how did it become your favorite book? Yeah. Okay. I I would love to kind of jump into on that too. I'm trying to find a really good quote that um, I can't, but um, for me, I've I've read a lot of fantasy, a lot of sci-fi, um, well, growing a growing literature of sci-fi, um, and one of the pieces about this um, this book, Out of the Silent Planet, that kind of struck me. Um, well, maybe maybe let's say let's say two or three ideas about why it's my my favorite, um, and that's of course a dangerous term because there's a lot of things that I love, um, but the ideas are are first, it's it's unique among things I've read. Um, uh, Lewis's world building um, works within the idea of our solar system. Um, but it, um, the planet that they, they go to, which, which spoiler alert is, is Mars, um, or is, is what we would call Mars, mm-hmm. um, is, um, you know, this is all written before, uh, the moon landing and, um, it's, wholly unlike and yet somewhat similar to earth um, trying to throw in different ideas of gravity's interplay on the surface and why it would be red um, mm-hmm. interacting with different characters and creatures. Um, um, and so it's just a really interesting world um, that's unlike things I've read um, 
two, um, and, and maybe this is the most important of the set, um, Lewis has a way of utilizing words that just makes you think. Um, he can communicate thoughts through pictures, um, mm. through, through dictated pictures. Um, I'm a very visual reader, so when I read something, mm. I visualize it. Um, and he has one of the, the quotes, the idea um, um, is, and right now I'm realizing it might even be in the second book, uh, but there's this moment where there is this, this creature. It's a very dark moment in this, in this book. Uh, this creature that is moving towards the, the main character. And the main character sees it as grotesque. Mm-hmm. Um, like, um, just this, the creepiest things he's ever seen. And then this, this, this other character, this evil character, perishes or ceases to be uh, in this particular scene. Um, and so then the darkness of that situation um, is let go and um, the, the, the evil presence is, is gone. And so in that moment, his view of this creepy creature turns from one of pure disgust to beauty. Um, and he defines it as, um, as, as, as if um, when he was at university um, working on a paper um, and this, this thing fell onto his, his desk. And he looked at it and he saw it as a bug. And he said it was the grossest. All the angles were wrong. It was this grotesque thing. And then he realized that it was actually, in fact, a leaf. Mm. And then everything that had made that bug grotesque made the leaf beautiful. Um, mm. And that, to me, was just like, a whoa. How do you, you know, communicate this internal feeling that you have? Um verbally and i just there are multiple points that i i the, 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 this book is pretty short but i um instead of speeding through it which i normally do hmm. i just like ruminated on it i would like read one chapter and then just stop for a day or two yeah um just because it was like it felt like a full meal almost <laughs> um and then last part of it is i i've realized and there's three books in this series but um he, I think C.S. Lewis is asking different questions in each of these books. Um, questions that really interest me. Um, and this is my own working hypothesis. Um, and each book is kind of responding to one of those particular questions. Um, and if we ever dive into the book, we can talk about what I think those questions are. Um, but I think they're meaningful. Um, and I, I think that this book captures all three of those things, unique ideas, um, beautiful written language that um, communicates internal thoughts and um, asks big questions that many sci-fi and fantasy books nowadays, I don't think do. So yeah, that for me is why. Uh, when I read uh, out of the silent planet, it felt pretty fresh. Um, mm-hmm. I admittedly don't read a whole lot of contemporary science fiction. Um, but I've read like a fair amount of Asimov and a lot of halo books when I was younger. <laughs> um, and not so young, but, uh, a lot of them seem like, uh, and you know, a lot of movies too. They're basically star Trek 
uh, you know, the aliens are kind of humanoid and uh, even if they're not humanoid, they speak English or <laughs> close to it. Um, I mean, there's, yep. there's exceptions, but um, I think C.S. Lewis really, I mean, there's a whole section where the, the main character has to learn the language of uh, the aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, and they learn. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, that's something that you know you don't get too much of because it's it's really hard to do and it's really hard to to make entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but and if if he wasn't the type of author that he was, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, I think the other thing that um, I really appreciated was the attention to detail um, when he he talks about how. He's talking about like the plant life stuff, how it's kind of mm-hmm. thin. Um, trees are kind of taller because there's not as much gravity, which, um, I mean, I'm not a biologist, so I don't know all the details of how accurate that would be. But uh, he does think very deeply. Uh, he's C.S. Lewis, so. <laughs> yeah. Of course he yeah. thinks well, And that's actually one really good thing. <laughs> <laughs> by by the end of the book, um, he ends up seeing like this 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 drawings of of the history of of, of different. I'm not going to say people groups, but being groups because they're not all people. Um, and um, he sees these beautiful beings walking around. And then he sees these like you know a few squat little like they look like you know, grotesque beings. And it, then he realized that those are him. That, that that one of the, at least one of those re- represents him uh, because of his, you know, the impact of gravity on his body on Earth versus that on Mars being mm-hmm. more or whatever, and so he actually has like a 180 perspective shift um, on um, him being the quintessential holder of knowledge um, and and truth um, and rightness to a realization that. Um, Oh, maybe he's he's the problem, hmm. or he's he's he's, he's different, or like, and and I, I'm sure as I'm saying this, I'm thinking like, oh, how much of this is you know, retelling of colonialism, and um, is a retelling in such a way that's fighting, telling it from the colon, you know, the colonists' perspective, and yet attempting to um, radically shift it throughout. Um, you know, maybe I don't know. That'd be a kind of an interesting way to read through it. Um, yeah, I find it, Mm. I just, it's, it's a book that I could come back to and read and I have read it back again and have recommended a lot of other people to read it. Yeah. Um, because it's not a long book. Um, but it it does something with the genre that I, I have not read other books within the genre that have, have done what it does. Yeah. Um, or at least have done what it does so well. And it, it doesn't have an interest in speaking into, culture and I, I don't know if it'd be a book that would be worthwhile tv show or movie to make um i don't think you could do it whilst keeping the spirit of mm-hmm. it um and and i think that's the beauty of the written genre yeah um is there's some things you can communicate um through reading um, and that you as a reader get to experience the world separately because you're creating it with the author yeah. versus having it created for you by the director um yeah just a few thoughts on that hmm. uh what about yeah you, you oh, tell me okay. about don quixote 
So, no, you want to ask me more about about uh, CS Lewis? I love <laughs> I it. Do. Cool. Yeah. But well, you can go. I think one of the things we didn't talk about in Out of the Silent Planet is like it's not just really good science fiction. Um, it's also, uh, I think, approaches uh, God and and putting God in a story in a, in a science fiction story in a really compelling way. And then I think only CS Lewis can. And before, before yeah. you go, the one thing I, I want to <laughs> add is in, in miracles, I think it, I think it was in miracles. Uh, CS Lewis was talking about, um, and I, I might be totally paraphrasing. I'm going to have to look this up later. But he says something to the effect of there, it is very possible that there could be extraterrestrial life, but we always assume that they also need saving. Like perhaps humanity mm. is the only race that needs to be saved. And he's, I think he's kind of explores that in Out of the Silent Planet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. I, yes. Um, he totally does. I, I brought up the question of those three, three questions that I feel like the books are asking, mm-hmm. um, the big whys, um, behind why he wrote them. And that's the question of the first book, um, was what would it look like to meet another? And, um, and I wish I had kind of written these thoughts down. Um, I have in the past, but I just don't have those notes on me. What would it look like to meet a an, another race of beings, another you know um, groups of beings? Because um, there's multiple, uh, there's three different races uh, of beings on this this planet um, that have a different relationship with God that exist in a world pre-fall. Um, so before Adam and Eve ate of the um, the apple or the fruit. We don't know if it's an mm-hmm. apple. Um, uh, in in the garden um, and the subsequent um, sin and um, pain that that followed that, um, of which Jesus was needed. So, what would it look like if a world was created before then? And so, these are three groups of beings that have have existed for hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands or longer years prior to um, the silent planet, prior to the beings, uh, earth, humans, Mm -hmm. and are actually closer to the end cycle of their, um, of their planet and, and are okay with that. Um, Mm -hmm. He actually interacts with these, these large bear like creatures. Um, There are three, three groups of people, like I said, of beings and these bear-like creatures are the, the holders of of language. Um, they're the ones that Hunter and I would probably like to interact with the most. Um, <laughs> couldn't tell we both love words. Um, <laughs> actually, I'm glad Hunter re- restated that he was an arth- author instead of a uh, arth- author. Um, he said that uh, in the first take of it. Is uh, I did funny. I was going to call. Wow. Him. Yep, I'm going to call him out. I think you were nervous. Um, hey, but we actually met. We were met. We met at a school that was that is known for writing. Um, That's true. That was like the number one thing that we would celebrate 
um, a school that shall henceforth be unnamed, but is named after a founding father who has a well-known musical. Um, <laughs> Ten <don't> worry, yeah. <laughs> founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder by being a self-starter. <laughs> uh, but, you know, put him in charge of a trading job. <laughs> uh, Anyways, uh, and so the, the, these these beings hold the, the beauty of, of, of language, and so they're the primary communicators of language. Um, but he interacts then with these other much more tall, like scary looking beings. I I I don't know if you've ever seen um, Scooby Doo in cyberspace, Cyber Chase. I don't know. It's, oh, it's one of the Scooby Doo movies where he they enter into a game, um, oh. and the villain is like an electrical charged uh, being. And that's kind of what I envision. <laughs> uh, these right. guys looking like, oh, that's not, that's not really what they look like at all. They're is, not made of electricity. They're, is that the one he rides on? Or is that a different one? Uh, maybe. Uh, no. Oh yes. Yes, he does. He does later on as he's running out of air because they're climbing this mountain. Right. And they're the holder of knowledge and thoughts. And, and so he then makes the assumption like, Oh, you must be the, the overlords of these, these other characters, um, oops, sorry for that noise, like Hanoi. Um, so the Sorns um, and the, the sorry, the Harandra. Um, no. Hrosa, the Hrosa. Um, the Hrosa and the Sorns. So he assumes that the Sorns are the, the, the leaders of the, of the, the planet. Um, and it's solely because he... Um, in his mind, he's he's built on this this notion that there has to be a caste system, um, and and they say no, like what, what, they don't even have a concept for understanding what he's talking about. Um, hmm. Like like no, the Hrosa are better at words. Why would we try to communicate things when they can do it better? Um, so like the Hrosa um, hold all the poetry and and words and the and and they're really just not that interested in all these like these high level different thoughts about sorts of things and what mm -hmm. will be and what you know um and that because that's the source so the, and, and like and then he, later on he meets these people called the the fiffle the fiffle fiffle tree which are um these they're kind of dwarfish type characters they're not they're not actual dwarves um, but they're really interested in technology um, and mining. And so they're really interested in his watch, um, which he tries to give a, to a sword at one point. And the sword's like, no, no, don't give it to me. Like the fiddle tricky would be much more interested in that. Um, and so it's it just continually, he has these ideas of what the world should be like and what these people should be, groups of people should be interested into. And, and they're just broken um, continually. Um, and so that's, and, and so he's asking that question of, of what would happen in a, in a world kind of pre-fall. And then the second um, book, um, Paralandra asks the question, what would happen in um, a world where the beings are created after Jesus is risen and um, Jesus has died, um, died and risen. And, um, and regardless of whether you, are interested in this, these types of questions or, or subscribe to a, a faith tradition. Um, I think it's interesting because he's asking these questions and he's created a world where there's kind of like an Adam and Eve type character that are, are put into a similar type of situation. 
um, on uh, Mercury, I think. Uh-huh. And um, and he has the same character who is um, kind of there. Um, and he, again, kind of is thinks he's supposed to do one thing. Um, when in reality, he's he's there to learn. Um, and and that's just at that part, that might be a book I like even more than mm. Out of the Town Planet, um, just because I think it's just absolutely stunning and beautiful. And, just, um, and then the third question, the third book is asking um, a, a question of what would it look like um, on Earth um, if we um, had a different understanding of what history is um and and it's 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 asking a bigger question than that that's not that's like not quite getting at it but it adds myth um like questions about merlin um is, is it merlin's a main character or a character in this um along with the the pursuit of knowledge and science um and so it kind of um, so science isn't the, 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 the villain. He's not trying to create science, science versus faith. That's not what's happening. Um, yeah. but he's trying to combat these questions of knowledge for the sake of having more knowledge and controlling people and, um, versus kind of a way of understanding the world that holds knowledge and faith and reason and morality, um, together. Um, and myth. Um, and by the end of the, the book, there's some really th- interesting things that happen. This, the third book is, is one that's much more confusing than the other two. I think, um, it also took me a lot longer to read it. Like the first two, like each took me a month because I was trying to go as slow as possible. Um, <laughs> the third one took me like, 13 months. Um, cause I was just trying to claw my way through it. Um, but I was also just noticing a lot of similarities between what he was writing about and what my experience was um, at the university I was attending at the time, um, which is not named after a founding father, not a father. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I could talk about these for a while and I haven't, I haven't read them in, in, in about a year, I think probably a year. Um, but it's, I do want to hear much more about Don Quixote, which I haven't read, um, but I've heard you talk about, and um, it's possible even in some of the music for this will have been our uh, um, Quixote-isms. Uh, that would be a way to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I'm not an expert on Don Quixote, and I feel like I have to say that because it's such a... Uh, um, <clears throat> such a a book that is studied a lot, I think in mm. in English in academia. It's uh, said to be by a lot of um, people uh, to be like the first novel, um, mm. which gives it kind of this reputation that I think makes people kind of stay away from it for a little while. But in fact, I, I put my first experience with Don Quixote was the audiobook, um, narrated, uh, by, um, what is his name? 
by George Gidal, uh, who is amazing. Like, abs- I believe he did the Hob, he did the Hobbit as well, and he was incredible in that. Mm. He has such a range of voices, um, and he's he does. It's like it's a really great way to experience Don Quixote if if you haven't before. Mm. But I just listened to it. I started it um, when I was living in Idaho. Uh, so that was, and I listened to it over the course of like one or two years. Uh, and actually mm-hmm. on the road trip coming back from Idaho was when I finished it. Um, and since then I have, I have been rereading it. I'm listening it, to it again and rereading it at the same time right now. Um, just it's the same place in those, those spaces. No, no. Or is, are you, is your listening ahead of your reading? My listening is ahead of the reading. Um, yeah, but oh, only you, you know, most people listen to books while also reading them like, <laughs> at the same point. So they listen and then they read and then they'll listen. I know yeah, I don't only, know. only Hunter English. would, uh, would listen to it and read well, it concurrently, <laughs> but not simultaneously. <laughs> I'm just trying it's to like absorb some Don Quixote. Uh, cause it's like, like you're listening to it and then you're hearing like an after telling yeah it's like an echo Uh yeah he's kind of cementing it in my my mind but uh (laughs) i ask myself you know if i'm I'm feeling kind of bad or i'm kind of grumpy i'll ask myself have i have i listened to or read don quixote today um and if the answer is no then i I go listen to or read some don quixote and and i usually feel better so (laughs) It's um I'm just gonna read the one little part from the introduction. Go for it. Um because I think it is a great um look into the the mind of Miguel de Cervantes and the kind of tone of Don Quixote. Um Leisurely reader, you don't need me to swear that I longed for this book born out of my own brain, to be the handsomest child imaginable, the most elegant, the most sensible. But could I contradict the natural order of things? Like creates like. So what could my sterile, half-educated wit give birth to, except the history of a sniveling child, withered, whining, its head stuffed with all kinds of thoughts no one else would even think of, like a man bred in a jail cell, where everyone grates on your nerves and every new sound makes you still sadder. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. D- Miguel That's de Cervantes. Like and like interesting. Well, he was actually imprisoned. He was like captured by pirates for a while. Um, As you do. And yeah. And I should, I should mention it was published at the end of the 16th century. So it's, it's quite old, but it also feels very fresh. Um, and I mean, I, I enjoyed Don Quixote for a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. but more recently as I, uh, pursued writing more and, um, wrote more and learned more about writing and trying mm-hmm. to write something, um, Don Quixote for me became kind of a, a metaphor for writing uh, 
mm. for writing fiction, wow. especially because you have this, this, this Spanish noble who's got a fine life, you know, he's not super rich, but he's richer than most. And he, he has leisure time. He has a very enjoyable life. And he just decides to just be a knight errant. And the first like three or four adventures they have all end with, with him um, just, just getting the crap kicked out of him, him and Sancho both <laughs> just getting beaten to like beyond like feet of their lives, you know, not, not within inches, but just like totally <laughs> beaten down over and over. One of my favorites is when Sancho gets tossed in a blanket um, and there are these kind of this this kind of weird situation where Don Quixote stays at an inn that he believes is a castle, and uh, when he goes to leave the inn, all this crazy stuff happens when he's staying there. And then okay. uh, when he's going to leave, the innkeeper's like, "Well, are you going to pay me?" And Don Quixote says, "Well, we knight errants practicing our noble profession do not pay for." Uh, food or lodging <laughs> we are accepted by the good of the lords who appreciate the service and the sacrifice that, that we give as knight errants and oh the innkeeper's like well i i need to be paid um and don quixote just kind of rides off but sancho gets left behind and there's a bunch of these kind of rough and ready like mule driver guys standing around and they see sancho there and they see a blanket and they just start tossing Sancho up in a blanket. And for the rest of the book, <laughs> Sancho never forgets this experience. He keeps, he keeps referring to it. He's like, they're talking about their old adventures and like, yes, we'll, you know, we'll talk about our, we'll reminisce about our old things, but don't say anything to me about the blanket. <laughs> um, oh my goodness. Yeah. And it, the whole thing is just, it's hard to go like three or four pages without laughing. Um, That's great. Yeah. And, and yet also he, he manages to tell these like really heartfelt and um, poignant stories. Um, mm. mm -hmm. One of which, one of my favorite characters is um, Dolatea, who is this very beautiful peasant girl. Um, and I mean, a lot of the times the women that you meet are like very beautiful, but they're very virtuous too. Um, and so she's this very virtuous and very beautiful peasant woman um, who is kind of pursued by this very rich noble um, who sort of like tricks her into a fake marriage just so that he can satisfy his own desire. Um, and so she ends That's up like, terrible. yeah. And, and, she's kind of recounting the story in the wilderness, like Don Quixote and Sancho just kind of find her and Don Quixote as crazy as he is, he, he has his chivalric code. Um, and part of which is to protect Can you say that word again. What chivalric code. Chivalric. Huh, I've never yes. heard I mean, chivalry, kind of chivalry yes. but I've never heard chivalric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chivalric code. Code of sure. Okay. Kind Sorry, of words you absorb when you read that code. But he um and part of his chivalric code is to protect damsels, to um, you know, keep them safe and and 
take them where they need to go, get the protection. And he's a very valiant knight. So she's recounting mm-hmm. her story and she just says, um, her handmaiden had let this guy into her room uh, where he made all of these kind of promises and stuff. And they performed this like kind of little ceremony. And she says, after the ceremony, my handmaiden who was witnessing the wedding ceremony, quote unquote, wedding ceremony, uh, my handmaiden left the room. I ceased to be one. And the next morning he was gone. And it's just this, it just hurts, you know? Uh, and she has this cr- kind of crazy story and eventually things, things work out well through kind of Don Quixote and Sancho, not because they're so great, but just because they're so crazy that they just bring all these people together that kind of, and there's a lot of different connected side characters and stuff, but it's just, there's just so Question much. You. Yeah. <laughs> Question for you on that. Um, do you do you think this would be then a book that would speak to a modern audience, or would the ideas of a, a code of chivalry or a chivalric code um, and conversations um, around you know the means in which yeah. these types of uh, situations are handled um, and the characters that are brought up, like would that would that resonate, or would that be? Um, you know, not something that would be uh, uplifted. Yeah. I think it depends on who you are. Um, Okay. And I mean, another thing is that um, Don Quixote often, (laughs) often makes things worse than he intended them to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So he, he, through the course of the book, he ends up setting free like a bunch of uh, criminals um, who it turns out probably should not have been set free. Uh, they were not mm. unjustly prisoned, <laughs> imprisoned. Um, <laughs> but it's, I don't know. I think it's kind of, I've never really thought about this way, but thinking about Don Quixote in the terms of, uh, in terms of toxic masculinity, um, it's interesting because Don Quixote himself, I mean, one of the, I guess, hallmarks of toxic masculinity is like, um, I don't know, bragging about women that you've, you've been with or like being very mm-hmm. brash yep. and kind of disrespectful. And Don Quixote is incredibly respectful and courteous unless someone says something bad about a knight that he doesn't like. Um, and he never, he would never fight a woman. Uh, he would never like raise his hand against a woman. He would always come to the aid of a woman in trouble. Um, and yes, there is a strong element of like in Don Quixote's own mind, women are to be protected. Uh, they're, you know, not necessarily weaker mm-hmm. mentally, but weaker physically, or I guess vulnerable is a better word. Um, but, you know, it's, it's unclear. It, it's, it's, I, I'll say it's clear that Cervantes doesn't think too much of the Cervalric code. 
because a lot of the book is okay. kind of uh, a lot of the humor is is based on how ridiculous the code is and how ridiculous Don Quixote's behavior is. Mm. Um, okay. So, so is is there an aspect in which it's kind of a parody of other types of literature of the day? Oh yes. Or or of either okay. Yes, very much. Um it's it's I guess it kind of you could say it like starts as a parody and then becomes something more. It just it can't it contains so much and so meandering okay. and, and um mm, and that's why people call it like meandering story. Yeah. It, I mean that's why they call it the first novel because um it is a fiction book set in a you know contemporary time about contemporary characters um and and yet it has this kind of like it has this the kind of like fairy tale feel sometimes but sorry what was the original question what a novel idea what a novel yeah. idea yeah um, um uh, the original question is would it speak to a modern audience um and it, it sounds like you, you said yes and no um, and it, yeah. it depends on the person. I um, and and it sounds like it might be speaking to speaking against some of the time, some of the aspects of its own time. Um, oh, definitely. Also, um, yeah. One of the interesting things about the publication, which I didn't really know uh, until I read some like editor's introduction, um, was about. How, when he originally published Don Quixote, he didn't publish it under his own name. Um, he published it under the name Sidi Hamete Benengeli, which is a um, Islamic name. Uh, and there was a, a large population of like Hispanic Muslims in Spain at the time hmm. who were forced into exile by the king. Um, and like basically it, it was kind of a, just an excuse for the king to basically commit genocide. Um, he's like, you have to leave the country in three days. And if you're not, if you're still in the country, then we can kill you if you're in the country um, was the, the edict, I guess. Um, but Cervantes published it under the, an Arabic name, which I think is is really a uh, subversive act, I guess. Um, okay, which is really critical of the attitude in Spain towards Muslims. Um, I I I don't think it's it, you can't say it's like clearly anti-racist or I mean it was written at the end of the 16th century, so it's a product of its time in that respect. But for the time, like. I think Cervantes is incredibly ahead of his time. Um, yeah. Yeah. But Don Quixote is, is a good time all the time. It's, it's interesting. It's deep. It's, it's my favorite book. I love it. Well, I know uh, one of the pieces that uh, will come up throughout our, our, our conversations is that you are also an author, um, a self-published author, a published author who is a, uh, working on your second book, currently editing the second book in this, this series. Um, and I know that one of the characters in this second book um, is a knight errant. Um, he is, yeah. 
want to tell a little bit about that <laughs> and like how, how much you shared earlier that um, Don Quixote has impacted your writing? Yeah. Uh, how has that been the case? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's a pretty direct example. Uh, I have, well, he was actually a character in some of the early drafts of the first book. Okay. Um, but he didn't, he didn't make it into the first one. It didn't really work out. So I kind of re remade him, um, in this, in the sec second one, when I was drafting it, he came back into it, um, as kind of a little bit different. Um, and yeah, he's, he's a knight errant. Um, and he has a dog and he, I mean, it's, it's not a direct, it's not all about him. He's more of a side character. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, def that's definitely inspired by Don Quixote. Um, one, <laughs> I mean, his, his journey is more about like what it means to be a knight. Um, Whereas Don Quixote is just, eh, you could say his journey is about that, but it's also about a lot of other things. Um, and I guess Sir Garen's journey is focused more on that. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So I actually have a, a question for you on that. And I, I don't want you to try and like reveal like uh, too much of your, of your new stuff you're working on. Um, have there been modern adaptations of Don Quixote? If, if it really is the first novel and that, that well impacted on, yeah, it's had that much of an impact on everything we've read. Um, have there been like attempts at, to retell that story? I'm sure there have been, to be honest, I haven't looked into it too much. Um, cause okay, I've been... so it's not like Lee Miz like type thing where there's, you can't like turn around without bumping into a. Yeah. I mean, a version of, I believe I might've read this in an afterward or a forward or somewhere, but someone said that all novels are variations on Don Quixote, which oh, that sounds like a very presumptuous uh, academic think, attempt at making an argument that, yeah, I mean, whatever. it is, it is definitely a pretty extreme statement, but I think there is some truth to it in that um, trying to, come up with a more with a more nuanced way to say it but uh -huh. yeah okay well going back to how i said don quixote has become a metaphor for writing um i think it can also kind of be a metaphor for reading where you could say that the writer or the reader is don quixote um and you know don quixote goes insane by reading all of these books of chivalry and, and existing in this mm. totally fictional world. And what is reading and writing? It is existing and experiencing a world that is not real. A world that sometimes looks a lot like ours, but it's not. And interacting mm. with people who are not real, who don't say real things, it's, it's, it's a complete fiction. And yet, yeah. Anybody who is a reader can't can't deny the value of it, um, and I think it's part of. Personally, I think it's part of of being human, um, and try existing somewhere else, feeling the urge to 
to go somewhere else. Like that's what writing for me is uh, particularly drafting something new is, is, uh, um, it's almost like hip hypnosis. You, you go somewhere completely different. You exist in a, in another place in another time. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then you come back and go yeah. over your work. Coldly. I've experienced that. Uh, and sometimes when I, both when I write and when I read, especially when I get in the zone in writing, like all of a sudden, like hours will pass. Uh, and like, I'll have not only put together something that I you know, usually feel good about, um, but I feel like I'm like re-entering <laughs> into the here and now uh, in a way that, that I hadn't before. But that's what you're saying, right? Am I, or am I this? Yeah. Construing. This yeah. Existing in a fictional world. Fascinating. Mm. And you're making me want to read Don Quixote. How, you, you've brought up a couple of times. It seems like it's pretty long though. Uh, oh yeah. It's long. But, well, <laughs> he puts a whole nother novel inside of Don Quixote. <laughs> the okay. novel of the man who was recklessly curious. Uh, is, so he wrote is, two novels. The first novel is actually two novels. Sure, yeah. It, well, he wrote it in two parts, I think. So so there's like the first part, and then there's there was a period of time where everyone in Spain, if, if you listen to... <laughs> Don Quixote's forward of part two. Everyone in Spain was reading Don Quixote. Uh, And then Um, part two came out and kind of continues the adventure and eventually concludes Don Quixote's story. Um, I was crying at the end of Don Quixote. But it's it's episodic, so you can dip into it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have to slot. So I, I could like pick it up and like read like the 30th chapter and be fine? Uh, yeah. I mean, I I think you, you might say, not you get say it's all episodic, the jokes, but yeah, yeah it is. It like is. it's kind of like picking up. You brought up Star Trek earlier. If so, like, you watched like season two, episode five of the original series, like you still you you you'd learn yeah. who Spock was and who Kirk was and who some of these other characters were. Um, yeah, you wouldn't have to have seen the other ones, but they would all be helpful towards it. Yeah, they you know they have adventures. Um. So I, that's right. what I meant by episodic is, is you can read a oh. chapter and, um, you know, it's kind of a whole adventure. Um, sometimes they're spread out over multiple chapters. It's, you know, he wasn't writing a, a TV wow. show, but, uh, so really he just created know, D and D as well. Yeah. I mean, the first time I listened to it, I listened to it over, over a period of at least one or two years. Um, yeah. So, but it will brighten your day. That's okay. my endorsement. Endorsement? Wow. Consider the, the, the Hunter endorsement. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming that since we both um, chose one of our favorite books or favorite fiction works, that we both give them a five out of five. Is, is that is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do five out of five. Don Quixote. Yeah. Or ten, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure as 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 we continue to talk about other things in this 
uh, you know, this thing that we can change if we want to. Uh, I don't know if we can change it. Um, <laughs> that we will have other pieces that we will not give the same ringing yes. or maybe resounding endorsement. Yeah, well, I'm sure I, I could pl- find plenty of things to complain about. But as you know, I'll try not to. Um, my cat just had like almost a hairball. I know it's a weird thing to say in the middle of a podcast, but he's been uh, up on my lap. I'm patting him at different times. He's on the ground next to me, wheezing. And then he decided that he was done. And uh, now he's walking to get some more food. I hadn't seen that happen before. We were at almost an hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's words for Eric. Stop talking about random stuff nobody cares about. Um, this is what people pay to listen to. Oh, do they? Um, they're not going to pay for it. Yes. <laughs> no, no. They're, do we have to pay, pay to, for it? To support it. Question. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, I know, I know if you're listening, you can't tell this, but I, I want to bring up the, um, uh, the way that Hunter uh, and I have approached this separately, um, he uh, has, has done more of the planning for this particular episode, um, and as such, um, has been much more about the nuts and bolts. Um, thus, his his um, username for this is his H dancing followed by a group of numbers. <laughs> I, on the other hand, am coming into this space um, having done less of the up upfront work. Um, uh, and with with just a pure joy of being here, um, which has made my username um, uh, the second half of a of a quote. So don't worry, it starts with an ellipses, um, and then it says, "Don't tell the elf." Um, <laughs> and if you if you understand where that's coming from, you understand uh, what my favorite movie is, um, which uh, also happens to be a fiction movie. Is um, it that specific one? Oh yeah, of course. Come okay. on, it's. Interesting. The battle in that movie is is by far the most epic of all the battles. Um, as far as just like, obviously, there's more like more more explosions and stuff like that in other ones, but like just the depth of depravity followed by just the. Mm, I mean, yeah, but I just stakes. And, yeah. mm-hmm. Gotta love a good skateboard scene too. So yeah. Uh, no, Legolas is my worry. hero when I was 12. I was trying to keep the mystery alive. Sorry. I was going to tell people that uh, I could try to give them a summary. I could find a box for them to stand on uh, <laughs> in order to figure that out. Uh, but yeah, as we as we wrap up, um, <laughs> I, I know that we will uh, get better at having these types of conversations. Um, I'm having a blast. Um, as yeah. I hope you are too, Hunter. We're going to talk about some of our favorite things with each other. We already have these conversations pretty regularly, and so we're kind of just recording them now. Um, it's the thing that people are doing. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a thing. Uh, <laughs> I hope that um, part of this year actually we'll hear, hopefully at the beginning, and maybe even a little bit at the end, and maybe we'll even have a longer ending to this episode after we're done talking. Um, Hunter is is not just a musician and an author, but also um, writes his own music. And so there's actually a piece that, that will follow up um, of the, the two of us playing uh, together. 
um, in one of the many ways that we we have a lot of overlapping um, interests. <laughs> um, music is one of those. Um, but let it be known that I uh, represented 0% of the writing <laughs> of the music, 0% of the lyric or writing, um, except for maybe some of the nonverbal sounds. Um, and zero um, percent of the melody um, and ideas. Um, that was that was all, as well as zero percent of the editing skill set. Um, but I was one hundred percent of the bass. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent of the bass. Yeah, <laughs> all about backups. Backups. Back <laughs> yeah, yeah. No travel. Um, yeah, yeah. So those are. Uh, there's a couple of things, but I, I know you'd written these questions. I, I, I love your kind of your last question of what's something that you are, not just something that you're currently reading, but something that, what is a favorite book that you are currently reading or have read recently? So it's, again, kind of showing that the focus isn't just on what is the thing that you're consuming, but like the, the kind of a little bit of the why behind it. So, so yeah. um, why don't you answer, and- answer that? Then I'll answer all right. Um, mine is, I just recently read uh, Silas Marner by George Eliot. And okay. it is a beautiful short book that probably wouldn't be published today, but um, is maybe for that reason more worth reading today. Um, but it it is about a weaver named Silas Marner, who through a kind of like pretty unlucky circumstance, he's kind of betrayed by this community that he lives in. And so he goes to live somewhere else and he's a stranger there and he's kind of the strange weaver. He is very closed off from the community. He um, develops a love for his gold that he earns, his money that he earns and saves. so every night after he's finished uh, weaving, he kind of counts up his gold and enjoys uh, handling it and, and counting it and the sound of it clinking and everything. It's kind of his treasure and then it gets stolen. Um, <clears throat> and so that was like the one thing filling up the void in his life uh, and it gets stolen. <laughs> um, but shortly after that, this little child just through circumstances, you learn more about it in the book. She just kind of stumbles into his door and he ends up taking care of this child um, since she's about two years old. Um, and I think it resonated with me personally because I'm incredibly introverted. And um, I think that if I was a single man, I would uh, I would be a lot like Silas, um, maybe not quite as extremely isolated as Silas is. Um, I mean, he's a character mm-hmm. in the novel, so uh, but he's very <laughs> yeah. incredibly isolated. But, um, you know, this child comes into his life and he needs help. So some people come and help him and um, they kind of change their opinion about them, about him. They think he's kind of weird at first because he's just this weaver who he has some like epileptic fits sometimes. Um, so that makes him even kind of more weird and mysterious. So they don't really understand him or like him. Um, and he doesn't really do anything to 
uh, get to know them. So, <laughs> but the, through this child, you know, he kind of has to open up to the community and, and he ends up, you know, she connects him community into a more full life and it is really beautiful. And, and I have a, a young son right now, so uh, I'm experiencing a really that that wonderful age, <laughs> uh, and and I'm I'm a first time. Mm-hmm. What's the name of this book? Um, Silas Marner by George Eliot, who Silas was actually Marner, a woman, um, yeah. but she published under a man's name um, <laughs> when she was writing. Okay, hey, wealth of knowledge like that. And, and you have a wealth of like deep reasons why. Um, for me, I'm reading a, a book right now. I have not finished yet, but reading a book with, with my with my wife and young son um, called The Singer Trilogy, S-I-N-G-E-R. Um, and um, it's three books in one um, by a guy named Kelvin Miller. I just had to look that up. I'm really bad at remembering authors' names. Uh, minus my good friend Hunter Danson, who wrote Dawn Must Fellow Night. Um, find it on Amazon. Uh, <laughs> buy it today. Um, <laughs> but I, we haven't finished yet. Um, but it's 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 like I said, these kind of three books pushed together, and it, it's a it's a poetic retelling of sorts of um, different aspects of Jesus's life. Um, and, and what happened after he died and rose um, from the dead and, and kind of ideas of what might even happen after that, kind of like a left behind type mm-hmm. vibe um, revelation conversation. <laughs> uh, but the first, the first Hopefully piece of it was too left behind. Yeah. 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 I, I haven't finished yet, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm, I'm loving it just because it's, especially the first piece is, is, is about the singer. Um, and it's this idea yeah. that um, what if, what if um, Jesus was, in fact, uh, a, the, the, the great troubadour, um, mm. which I feel like connects really well with uh, maybe some of the John Quixote <laughs> aspect of things. Good word. Um, he was the great troubadour um, with this, like, who had like, the, the, the anthem um, to sing. Um, and mm. um, the way that that would impact lives of people and, and then kind of goes on from there. Um, some of it gets really dark, um, then it gets really beautiful. And some pieces I'm like, oh, um, I went to divinity school um, in case anybody's wondering, uh, hence some of these kind of questions and thoughts and interests. Um, but it, it's, it's really interesting. Um, it gets really, really dark um, at one point and then it gets a little bit less dark and I think it's about to get darker again. Um, okay. So at some points I'm like, maybe we shouldn't be reading this to our, reading this to our four and a half month old. But and I remember this <laughs> four and a half month. He doesn't know how much he's, he's hearing this. He's just more interested in hearing us talk. Um, yeah. And he's falling asleep to it. Um, and I'd love to build in him a love for reading. Um, even if that love is uh, um, based off of, well, maybe even especially if that love is based off poems and, and um, creative retellings. Uh, it's just very, full of imagination um, yeah. and, and kind of grabs a theme and goes with it. So I'm enjoying it. Um, definitely reading a few things right now, probably uh, a couple too many um, as in, I haven't finished many of them, uh, but never, never been reading enough. <laughs> well, the problem is when you're reading too many things and you don't actually read any of them because of it. 
Oh, yeah. I system I've stuck with is uh, loosely is an upstairs book and a downstairs book. So there's a book that I can <laughs> I like it. read when I'm downstairs is eating lunch or something. And then there's a book I read upstairs for bed or, you mm-hmm. know. Nice. Good old bathroom book. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I don't, I don't like to spend a lot of time in the bathroom. So yeah. I don't know. I, Probably a good thing. <laughs> Anyways, let's uh, let's close it out for today. Any any last word you uh, want to lead the group with? Yeah, don't Maybe don't want to end with uh, I don't like to spend time in the bathroom. <laughs> it's not the best one to end on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, maybe maybe a last word for me um, outside of "Don't tell the elf" um, is that. I don't know, I'm trying to think super deep. It's not going to work. It's too late for that. Um, you're right. You should cut this part out. <laughs> Let's see. Maybe the last word for me is that the the power of a good book um, it, it doesn't just bring you into a world, um, but it makes you think about the world you're in right now afterwards. Um, I think it can shape um, how we interact with each other, how we interact with creation, um, how we interact with God, ourselves, our spouses, um, because um, it's a type of thing that that can teach as much as it it, it is enjoyable. Um, and I think that's something that... Um, not as many modern works of, of fiction um, do as well as uh, previous generations of fiction um, because it, it necessarily, this, this idea I'm talking about necessarily breaks into this consumeristic pattern that so much of our society is based on today. It's mm. a good one. I'm going to end with a quote from Don Quixote, uh, from a little, uh, uh, towards the end of the paragraph of the first quote that I read. Um, and it is addressing potential critics of Don Quixote. And I think it fits well with potential critics. Of <laughs> this of, of, uh, we can just change it. Um, you can make up your mind for yourself with the best of them. And by God, you're the boss in your own house, like a king in charge of his tax collectors. You know the old saying, whatever I've got under my coat is mine, not the king's, which means you're under no obligation at all. So you can say anything you like about this history. You don't have to worry about being insulted if you don't like it or rewarded if you do. <laughs> I love that. If you like it, if you don't like it, you can change it. <laughs> I don't even know about it. <laughs> that's good. I like go. that word. That's, I, that's a, kind of even a better endorsement than anything else when you read the words themselves. Let yeah. the book speak for itself. Love it. Yeah. Oh, Hunter, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, yeah, it was I'm fun. To again, again soon to talk about it and uh, 
next time we yeah. talk, um, the the first episode or the first two episodes of the Rings of Power will be out. Um, so maybe that will oh, okay, make its yeah. way into our conversation. Um, it might come yeah. out on the, the first. Yeah. Uh, well, at the bottom here, I have. Um, <clears throat> oh, I didn't think I put it in here, but my initial list just had like Lord of the Rings as a bullet point because. <laughs> oh yeah, sure that would be many. Uh, but yeah, we can we can think about it. Um, and sounds good. Yeah. See what the show's like. Well, it's I worth hope you all enjoyed this. Uh, this in, this this piece that's gonna play us out. Uh, and, uh, well, if you don't like it, you can't change it. It's already been done, <laughs> uh, but it was a good oh, conversation. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to talking with you all some more and, and, uh, try to as, as much as possible, try to link yeah. some of these things. If we ever have our own, uh, podcast notes, and we ever get to that level of fanciness. Yeah. I don't know. Um, one note about the lyrics, um, <clears throat> yes. there's a, in the little bridge section, when I do the Latin, um, it's non bene. It's it's supposed to be non bene pro toto libertas venditor auto, um, which is it is not good to sell your freedom even for all the gold you can get. Um, when I was singing it with with Eric, I changed. I accidentally said the wrong word, and I said non bene pro toto veritas. Wendy Tor Auto and Veritas is truth. So it's supposed to be Libertas, um, which is freedom. <laughs> so it, it ended up being it is not good to sell the truth, even for all the gold you can get, which I guess still works. But if you're wondering Super deep. that that little saying is um is one of Aesop's fables and and I only know it because Cervantes used it in his introduction to Don Quixote. Um, <clears throat> Sweet. Enjoy. Bye. Bye. Thank, thank you for listening. Uh, I do. Oh, yeah, that too. I do really appreciate it. Great. Following down this road Won't get lost Cause I know just where to go Just follow me down This road We won't get lost Cause I know just where to go If you don't like your name You can just leave it Yeah, but around the bay.
Yeah. 